This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin and Dan Dickinson coming at you this week. Red Bulls fans, this was a crazy, crazy, I guess 27 hours of Red Bull soccer. New York puts out a first-team squad against Philadelphia Union and has almost an identical experience as the league loss that the Red Bulls suffered to Philadelphia earlier in the year at Red Bull Arena. Lloyd Sam, at the absolute death, pushes New York to extra time. They dominate the Union and cannot score and uh, lose in a penalty shootout, knocking the Red Bulls out of the Open Cup at the corner final hurdle. 24 hours later, the kids are all right. The baby Bulls beat the champions of England 4-2. 16-year-old Tyler Adams gets a goal. Sean Davis gets two goals. It's a homegrown palooza at Red Bull Arena in front of a very, very big crowd. Dan Nickinson, how can we... How can Red Bulls fans come to grips with the fact that you've had two completely separate teams that both made incredible efforts? One was uh, one was fortunate and won, and one was really unfortunate and lost. I don't think there's any way to apply reason to this, Mark. There is literally no reason. Um, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's astonishing, and perhaps so Metro that those are the way the results broke out. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm still kind of at a loss for words about it. But, you know, I, as we go into each game, I, I think it will become a little bit more clear that I don't think it's as night and day as it looks if you're just looking at the score lines. Um, there, there's some... I've got some, some caveats and, and rationalization of things that I probably shouldn't rationalize. Okay, so we'll try. all right, well... All right, so uh, our guest tonight, by the way, is, is Red Bulls beat writer at MLSsoccer.com. That's Eric Giacometti, uh, who writes every day about the Red Bulls. And if you're not reading him on the official league site, then shame on you. He'll be by in a little bit. So let's start. It's 4 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, the Philadelphia Union Sons of N traveling supporters are easily 50% of the crowd at Red Bull Arena at the start of the match. It's in the upper 80s with a ton of humidity, and New York started off just where they finished at the end of the 2 nothing loss in May, dominating possession, getting quality chances, getting quality looks, and and cannot convert. And you almost had the, the notion going in at halftime, scoreless, oh, by the way, up a man after Connor Casey's red card for beating on poor Connor Laid. He's a he's a small Connor Laid is like one half of Connor Casey and Connor Casey just smacked him so hard. It was very, very difficult to see um, to, to, to watch. He's thrown out of the game and you think, well, New York's got this. But of course, Philly had already won a 10 man cup match earlier in the season. They, they had against D.C. And the thing about it was, is Casey gets sent off and then everybody starts panicking further. Oh, you know, they're, they're down to 10 men. You know, the, the guy that we were most fearing is no longer... We were talking about this in the media room. All right. Yes. It, it, yep. it's, it's astonishing that no matter what happens, goals get scored, players get cards, you know, momentum changes. It, it's always going to be the worst possible situation. 
And granted, it didn't break out to a win this game, but you know, if you go up a man, you should have an advantage. Now, obviously, there were some extenuating circumstances. It, it's hard to call a crowd like that a home field advantage. The weather, while not as absolutely miserable as the Chicago game from 2012, was pretty bad. Um, the team was coming off of a game on the weekend in Orlando, which was also hot and sticky. At Philadelphia, it was also coming off a game. Of yeah, the but at least and they, were they were also playing. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, you should do better when you're up a man. And I think we've, we've seen this so often with the RSL game, with the Orlando game. You know, th- this team doesn't, and in fairness, it's been a problem for years. They can't take advantage of being up a man. Now, a lot of that is because when Philly lost Casey, they changed their formation they they immediately went to a we're going to bunker a bit and try and counter, yep. and you know I think they had, and they sure did they had a was it Madonna or Nogueira yes. um, sort of floating up top to try and and break something going and they actually got that counter not you know building out of the back and and rushing up the field quickly but it was you know a, a sort of lax turnover in the Red Bulls defensive third which led to some bang-bang passing, and it's a FIFA goal, and suddenly they're, they're down one nothing, and it's this sh- shocking scoreline. It's a shocking scoreline, and then, of course, what they do is they put... There was one point, so you're down to 10, w- one man for the Union is up at midfield, the keeper, and the other eight guys were physically in the box. Mm-hmm. For all, most of the second half, they completely collapsed into the box. Now, as... As a team that is having trouble taking advantage, now you're tr- you've got to take advantage of your man advantage, and you're down a, guy, a goal, and the, t- the team you're playing has completely gone into a shell, so you can continue to float cross after cross after cross in. How, I, how many crosses do they have? They have 70 crosses in this game, so some ridiculous amount of crosses, and... You know, you, it can be argued that at some point you just have to start shooting from outside and hoping you, you get a, a fortunate bounce in the box and you're able to get a deflection a la Anthony Wallace's goal against the Revolution. But um, New York went to a strategy which is pop it up and hope someone gets their head on it. It was interesting, you know, Marsh's substitutions um, – Especially when, uh, hold on, and I'm just pulling him up right now, folks. Uh, you know, when he, when he brought on uh, Sanchez, right, and Zizo and Grella, uh, Paranel came out late in the game, right? He put on Sanchez um, for Paranel, mm-hmm. and Anthony Wallace, who was at shaky at times, frankly, um, moved to, to center back, and Dave Martinez, who you might uh, remember from the show, had a very, very uh, interesting analysis on Empire of Soccer, where he basically said, you know, players like Sanchez are still a little green to be put in a do-or-die situation, and Sanchez had a couple of chances in the box late in the game uh, to, to send it into overtime, as, as he did in the extra periods that would have given the Red Bulls a win. You know, uh, Wallace has been around a long time, you know, late as well, and even a bong, a bong in particular killed a number of attacks with errant passes. But this is, you know, when you're a team that's committed to playing youth and playing uh, youth in important games, this is what you're going to see. And even in the, the post-game press conference, 
um, Jesse Marsh had said, you know, it's important that players get in situations like this because these are all learning experiences for down the road. Now, whether he sees an extra time in an MLF playoff series or possibly penalty, penalty kicks to decide one, you would have to think that's going to play dividends. So it, huge ups to Lloyd Sam for making it go. Huge ups for Bradley for de- delivering the fans into delirium for, I think, all of one second. And uh, and uh, should we talk about the shootout? Should we talk about Bradley? Well, I mean, well, let me go back to a couple of the points you just made. Yes. So when you've got a Philadelphia team that's playing eight in the box, plus John McCarthy, who was standing on his head pretty well, let's be honest. Yes, he was a fantastic great, game. Great performance. The, the, there's really yeah, – it becomes difficult to find a way through that. You know, the, the crosses over the top are because – that at least gets the ball into the vicinity of the box. They tried yeah. shooting from outside. You can look at the, the shot chart on the league site. It, it's just a blur of lines from outside and inside, <laughs> and most of them got blocked away. Out of the 34 shots they took, 13 of them were blocked, 10 were on target, 11 were off. And to answer your cross question, it was 74 attempted, but oh, only 31% thanks. of them went in. If you think that's bad... I think this is the highest total passing number I've ever seen for the team. They they did uh, try, attempted 643 passes, and 327 of them, which is over half, were in the final third. This was a game that they played basically trying to break into the box. It looked it looked like a basketball game at times, you know, just passing it around the top of the arc, the three point mm. line, trying to find a way in, and it 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 was just mind boggling. And credit to Sam for. You know, some acrobatics when he turned and, and slammed that ball home for the, the equalizer. But, you know, you're you're spending the energy trying to find a way through. And in that, that sort of heat and condition, you know, it's easy to defend just by standing there. Yes. You know, somebody did not yeah. have to expend a lot of energy. And I think, you know, the frustration probably mounted and then that leads us to the penalty shootout. Right. So Bradley apparently walks right up to Jesse Marsh and says, I want to take the first shot, which is admirable. Right. Bradley is Bradley is trying to break through his own funk. Obviously, he missed two penalty kicks uh, against Vancouver earlier in the season, and he promptly clanks this one off the bar, which put New York at a disadvantage for the for the rest of the penalty shootout. Sam's shot. Have you seen the replay of this? Uh, I, I saw a couple. I, it's, I haven't seen anything really conclusive either way. There, there's no goal line technology in the Open Cup, folks. Yeah. And uh, the ref made the call that, that McCarthy stopped it before the entire ball was into the goal, which, of course, it has to be. And so with that, you can't blame Robles. He made one stop. During the, the during the shootout, you can't blame him for allowing Aristigueta to score. I mean, he's a goal scorer. He's going to make that happen. And c'est fin. I mean, that's it. New York falls at the quarterfi- quarterfinal hurdle. Philadelphia is going to host Chicago. And I believe, is it um, Salt Lake and Kansas City yep. is, is the other matchup? Yep. And say what you want about Philadelphia and Chicago. These are two teams that are at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. They're at the bottom of the league, frankly. And they have become, both of those, especially Chicago, obviously, has a history. I believe this is Philadelphia's third straight semifinal mm-hmm. in the Open Cup, and they pride themselves of being an Open Cup team. They, they, have, they have staked whatever, whatever little success they've had in the league, they've prided themselves on the Open Cup is all about them. And say what you want, but New York you know, falls here, they... 
they you cannot say that they did not try. We can argue ad nauseum uh, again about the scheduling snafu that created a game at four o'clock in the afternoon on a, on a Tuesday. Um, you can't. You don't have a time machine, and and the Red Bulls were at fault in attempting to schedule games during this window. So you can argue that the soccer gods have been appeased somehow. I'm sure Kevin Brown will be happy. Oh yes, so happy. <laughs> but uh, New York loses in a penalty shootout. Let's let's give your bull and cow for the penalty shootouts for the penalty shootout. or for, 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 the, for the game yeah, say, for the game for the, the game shootout. I've... I give it to Archie at that point. Um, for the for the game, I'll give it to Lloyd Sam uh, just for finding a way through after all of that. Uh, yeah, you got to you got to respect getting the goal at the death. It, it takes a lot of skill. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's no one else to give it to. If, if there's a close second, uh, perhaps it would be Connor Laid, who I thought played very, very well. His distribution was very good. And as it was suggested to me numerous times um, by the Red Bulls' Frank Chiasi and folks on Twitter, uh, he, he was under no pressure. Mm-hmm. He was under no pressure with the ball because Philadelphia was sitting back. And when without pressure on him, he was delivering some pretty uh, style and passes and distribution in the box and almost created a number of goals. So he's a close second. And a cow? Um, I'm torn between Bradley for clanging off the crossbar to you know start the shootout on the wrong note and Mike Grella for somehow standing in the way of a perfectly good shot on goal that would have counted uh, early in extra time one that was from his own team. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, probably just speaks to the tiredness, but get out of the way, Mike. Out of the way, dude. Or Sanchez, who also was hit in the shin with the ball in extra time two, and had he not looked at it and watched it bounce away, he could have done something. So maybe we should it. just say the attacking core. There you go. When you when you take thirty four shots in hundred and twenty minutes and you score one goal. Finish. Now on to night two, a happier night, a briefer, a briefer discussion, certainly, as uh, as Jesse Marsh had said, he was going to be running out his reserves against the champions of the uh, Barclays Premier League and comes out four to two winners, despite being down one nothing in halftime. Uh, Sean Davis of the first team gets two goals. 16-year-old Tyler Adams gets a goal and... Chelsea obviously is just starting their preseason. There, there are a lot of very big names that were playing. There were a lot of very big names that were not playing. But nevertheless, an experience like this can be only a massive confidence boost for New York's young academy and USL players who will take this as the match of their lives, as they absolutely should. Great. Mark, which big names weren't playing for Chelsea? Uh... Which big names weren't playing for Chelsea? I'm not sure. Help me I, out. Fabregas was on in the first half. Azard was on in the second half. Diego Costa was on in the second half. John Terry was on in the second half. Uh, Courtois was first half. Like no, you're yeah, right. You're pretty right. Pretty much every player from Chelsea I could name was on at some was point on, during the game. Although, although not at the same time. No, but I yes. mean it was sort of a, a squad rotation at the half. But uh, I mean, I will quote Jose Mourinho. It was too easy. Every chance they created was a goal, and obviously our team in the second half was a very strong team. Terry, Zuma, Esplicueta, Ramirez, Machik. It was a very strong team, so obviously I was disappointed. 
We cannot concede four goals in 45 minutes against the top team, and we cannot concede four goals in 45 minutes against a team with the young guys from Red Bulls. So, uh, you know, Mourinho, I wasn't at the game, unfortunately, last night, but he was apparently kind of livid with the result, which is a good sign from the coach. And, you know, we end up falling into the double standard of these friendlies, which is if the English team wins, oh, my God, MLS is terrible. And if the MLS team wins, you find some excuse that, you know, it's their first preseason game. They're not warmed up yet. I would think that Eden Hazard, even if you just woke him up, at two in the morning, rolled him out of bed, gave him play. his feet, and made him play against a bunch of third division American players, he'd probably <laughs> still be able to win the game. And I, I don't get it. it. I watched the highlights. It was astonishing. Yeah, well, it was astonishing, and it was a great experience in front of a very large crowd, announced at over 24,000. Uh, obviously, these are not folks that came out to see the Red Bulls 2 and Academy players. They came out to see Chelsea. They were Red Bulls fans in the house, and that they were very, very pleased. Do you think that Red Bulls won any fans last night? Um, maybe a few. I don't think a lot, but I, you know, <laughs> the idea that your kids are going to put together a performance like that and... You know, there there is the charm of Red Bull Arena being a proper soccer stadium in the area and things like that. I, I they'll, they'll get a slight bump, but it's it's not going to be anything to reverse the trend that we've seen this year. Will the Red Bulls too get a slight bump? Because... I just want them to do the champion. We know what we are. We know what we are. Champions of Europe chant at the next uh, USL Pro game. <laughs> So, is is there a bull and cow that you can offer for this match? I, I can't cop to watching it. I was, uh, it was, it was frankly, too Sports distraught. Plus. How was anybody going to watch it? Uh, I watched it on ESPN Deportes, uh, actually. I didn't even realize it was. Yes. Um, I, uh, I think, given that he had the brace, let's give it to Sean Davis. Um, yes. You know, he, he's been solid when he's featured for the first team, and good on him for putting two past the champions of England. And uh, can we give a cow on a night? I mean, when uh, can we give a cow to any player on uh, on the Red Bulls after a win like uh, this? We can always find a way somehow, Mark. I, having not watched it, uh, I heard the foul that Roy Miller pulled off that got his yellow card was completely <laughs> inappropriate for a friendly, where he was trying to rip Hazard's chin off or something like that. So mm, uh, That's just a love tap. Roy, Roy Miller, welcome back. But nah. All right, fair enough. So now the Red Bulls, uh, before they return to league play next weekend at Philadelphia, the Red Bulls, who are on top of the International Championship Cup standings, by the way, are going to uh, host Benfica of Portugal on Sunday night at Red Bull Arena. I, I am not about to give a preview of that match, uh, as it is n- neither uh, league nor cup. But uh, if you have tickets, if you uh, the, the, all these tickets were distributed free to season ticket holders. Mine finally moved for all of thirty bucks a pop, which I was very very disappointed by. But there is playoff soccer to be played this weekend in the Red Bulls family, and that's in the PDL playoffs. The Red Bulls under twenty three team will be hosting the Portland Phoenix 
of Maine, 7.30 at NY, uh, excuse me, NJIT Stadium in Newark. It's actually a double header. The Jersey Express will uh, host the Char- uh, will play the Charlotte Eagles at the same field, and then the two teams will meet Sunday at 5. So that could be a warm-up. That, uh, the winner of uh, that bracket will go on to the PDL Final Four, which will be the next weekend. So if you're in the mood for meaningful Red Bull soccer, then you can certainly check that out. Uh, anything else in Red Bull land you care to discuss? The play- We've got 14 days until the window closes, sir. Uh, I hope everybody enjoys the breeze. Mm. We're a small club now, did you hear? I, I did. Champions of England and a small club. When we're back on Seeing Red, we're going to have Eric Giacometti of MLSsoccer.com. Stay with us. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. We're back at Seeing Red, New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. And uh, our guest this week... He had, a, he had a Dave one-on-one way back in the day. It's been such a crazy week with Red Bulls, we thought we'd bring him back and give him the Mark and Dan treatment. It is Eric Giacometti, who is the beat writer for the Red Bulls at MLSsoccer.com. Eric, welcome back to Seeing Red. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Uh, it's, it's really our pleasure to have you. Let's go back. It's been a crazy 48 hours with peaks and valleys and ups and downs. Let's go back, obviously, to the U.S. Open Cup match first and discuss how Philadelphia, uh, down a man, was able to hold on against a Red Bull side that completely statistically blew them out of the park. Yeah, very very difficult match for them to swallow considering how dominant they really were, I think. The shots were something like 32 to 8, so it was just an absolute domination on the offensive side for the Red Bulls. They just couldn't manage to, to put one in until you know the, the dying moments with Sam. Uh, it was a, a pretty much a carbon copy of their first matchup, where Philly were you know on their heels for the most of the match, but you know they managed to counter that game. It was twice they won two nil. Uh, once they went down to 10 men, especially with Casey being the man that was sent off, who's notorious for hurting the Red Bulls. Uh, you might have thought that they had a, a good chance of, of nicking the result. But uh, once again, it was that counter that left them vulnerable. And then, you know, penalties are always a crapshoot. And you see what happens. Anything could happen in the penalty shootout. Two misses, and that's all it takes. Eric, do you think, you know, I've heard a lot of excuses and a lot of finger-pointing, you know, everything from the scheduling of the game to the weather to, you know, their minds not being into it to having one day less rest than they might otherwise have. It, it, is there anything that you think played a factor into the result that maybe wasn't something that directly happened on the field, or was it just they couldn't get the job done? I mean, if you ask the players themselves, they really they took the burden of the blame themselves. I, I, I don't think the weather was too much of a concern. Granted, they just played, you know, a tough match in Orlando, which was hot and humid. You know, a 4 o'clock game on a Tuesday is not ideal. But at the same token, both teams are playing in the same you know, environment. So uh, certainly there were some tired legs out there. But that being said, you know, the tired legs didn't really play too much of a factor because the Red Bulls created you know, the lion's share of chances. So it was really just a, uh, down to you know, a finish here or there. And uh, as Jesse said and a bunch of the guys said, that game should have been 2-3-4-0. That game should have been decided even before Casey was sent off. So uh, you can look at the litany of factors that go into it, the scheduling Obviously not ideal, but uh, at the end of the day, there was enough there on the field to get it done with a first-choice lineup, and they just couldn't manage to get the goal. 
It seemed as if, Eric, that Bradley Wright Phillips really reverted back to his play of over a month ago, going back to even to the Atlanta Silverbacks game when Bradley seemingly just could not get the ball on frame. Uh, and obviously then there was the, the, the penalty kick, the, the third straight penalty miss of his time with the Red Bulls. Um, what's going through his head, and how was he after the match? He was pretty dejected. I mean, you could understandably so missing, I guess this is his third straight penalty kick. And, uh, you know, he, he said himself that he wanted to step up and, and take it. He said he wanted to be brave after he had, you know, failed twice before. Let's not forget that he was perfect uh, when he was taking penalties uh, in his golden boot year last year. So mm-hmm. it's it's different for him to be, you know, so erratic from the spot. He's not used to missing like that. So he was clearly dejected after, you know, after the loss, you know, missing. He, he felt like the burden of the loss was on his shoulders. Uh, but I think that's one of the more frustrating things about Bradley Wright Phillips is that you clearly see the talent is there when, when he's on. Uh, you know, one of the finishes that comes to mind is that, that goal against NYCFC in the Bronx where, you know, just a perfectly taken shot that, you know, few other players can do in the league. But then he has, you know, a lot of chances in that game that, you know, he just can't manage to bury. And then, of course, the, the penalty miss, you know, just adds insult to injury. So uh, he's in a bit of a rut right now. But Jesse's really trying to work on his confidence and saying, you know, you're still our guy, you know, have complete confidence in you stepping up and uh, and taking that penalty kick. Just unfortunately didn't go in for him that time. So Eric, let's let's move past the Open Cup match 24 hours. When you were sitting in the the media room and you got the lineup showing largely a first choice Chelsea team and basically New York Red Bulls 2 plus Roy Miller, uh what was running through your head? Well, I wasn't surprised by the Red Bulls lineup in any way. I mean, it was more or less what I expected considering, you know, how many players had played just the day before in the Open Cup, but seeing I think six, maybe seven, you know, regular first-team players that had, you know, from a team that just won the Premier League, that's no joke, uh, coming up against, you know, a bunch of young kids from uh, the third division in in U.S. soccer. I mean, it's safe to say that I I thought it could get ugly and get ugly quick. (laughs) But um, I I was, you know, pretty surprised at just how much they stuck in there, even when Chelsea was was bossing the match in the first first half. uh, You know, they, they came in pretty strong, peppering Rainish and had plenty of chances. They got the first goal, but even when they got to halftime, you I was telling uh, Anthony Merced from Empire of Soccer uh, that they didn't I didn't feel like that was really getting away from this team. They 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 seemed pretty composed considering the opponent, considering, you know, the the clear talent gap between the two sides. They weren't uh overwhelmed by the situation. They weren't scared. They played fearless football. And uh, in the second half, I mean whether it was a collapse by Chelsea or whether they just, you know, were able to they they forced a lot of mistakes on the Chelsea end, but they capitalized, and, and that's what it takes to beat those top clubs. Is that you know when they make the few mistakes that they do, you really have to pounce on those chances. And uh, credit to credit to Jesse Marsh, credit to John Wolniak, and uh, and the guys from the USL team. They've really implemented a system. You saw that high press up tempo is you know mm-hmm. starting down there and going all the way to the first team. You know the first half they they nearly created a goal off of a, an errant back pass. The second half uh, Castellanos put it away after you know charging at Begovic and, you know, forcing that mistake. So you seeing those kind of things are encouraging if you're a Red Bulls fan because you're seeing that kind of culture is, is continuing to start from, you know, the very bottom all the way up to the first team. So if you're a Red Bull fan, even though it doesn't mean much in the standings, you'd much rather have the win in the Open Cup, of course. But it's, there's a lot of encouraging signs to take away from that game. And, and I think a lot of Red Bull fans are really trying to put these two games 24 hours apart in some sort of perspective. Yes, 
in front of a teeny tiny crowd of absolutely the hardest of the hardcore on a steamy Tuesday afternoon, New York extends themselves to 120 minutes, can't get it done, and then 24,000 show primarily to see Chelsea, obviously. I don't think we should kid each other. Do you think the team made a statement with the way that it played over the, the, the two matches? Do you think they possibly won any repeat fans over the two games? Well, I'm, I mean, the casual fan, I think, is unfortunately still just going to be, you know, they're obviously, like you said, there for Chelsea, so... Uh, and, you know, they, they didn't get to see the Red Bulls' best team, but they saw an impressive outing, a very entertaining game. I think there was upwards of 24,000 in attendance, and, you know, they saw a six-goal affair, lots of attacking play. So there's there's plenty for, you know, for the average fan to, to come out and enjoy. Uh, so as I'm not sure if uh, if that'll, you know, resonate long-term with any, you know, casual fans, but uh, you know, the product is out there, and uh, it's just a matter of, you know whether they want to make the trek out there on a you know regular MLS Saturday night to to see the Red Bulls, but that is you know yet to be determined and still the challenge that this league faces 20 years later. Eric, one of the most common questions we get in the the third segment, and I'm sure we're going to get it again this week, is <laughs> you know the window's open. Where does this team need to improve? <laughs> oh. Mark's already laughing. So, <laughs> Eric, put on your uh, Ali Curtis hat for a minute, and uh, if if you were running this club. Where would you get some reinforcements during this window? Well, you know, it, it's funny. At, at one point, uh, I remember writing an article saying that they had, you know, a girth of, uh, of options at center back, and now they're pretty thin at the moment, considering, uh, you know, Zubar is, you know, continually hurt. Uh, Wemet is, is now back, but uh, I think that they could really, so they could solidify with uh, another solid option at center back because, you know, you, you look at the, the stats with, you know, Dax at the defensive midfield and Perinell and Miazga at center back. That's clearly their most, uh, their, their best three in that posi- in those positions. So, uh, when anyone else gets slotted into that center back position, it, the, the drop off in form is pretty drastic. So, uh, a, a nice solid center back, hopefully, you know, for the Red Bulls, that could be Zubar. Once he's healthy, he really hasn't panned out as of yet. So, uh, if he comes back and healthy, that kind of mitigates that. Uh, but, you know, right back is also a problem spot with, with Chris Duval being injured long term. Connor Lade has stepped in and he's done admirably well. But uh, other than that, you, you're looking at guys like Sean McClaws uh, to step in at right back. So uh, on the defense, I think they could they could use some help. And then, you know, there's there's always the calls for uh, another left winger, whether that's is it going to be Sean Wright Phillips? He's been training. They keep denying that he's, you know, he's not a transfer <laughs> target. I'm uh, not quite sure that's the case, but uh, you know we'll see how that saga plays out. So if uh, if Wright Phillips is indeed a trialist looking to come into the team, I think that could uh, give them a little bit of depth uh, on the wings. As far, you know, maybe cre- you know take some of the burden uh, creatively off of guys like uh, Dax and Sasha and Lloyd, uh, and you know maybe add add a little bit of a different dimension to that midfield. It's interesting, uh, Eric, where you went to. You you went to the back, and then you went to a little bit of the midfield. We haven't talked about up front. I know a lot of fans have talked about a, a score next to Bradley. Uh, the Red Bulls are third in the league in goals scored. Right. That's that was with, a, a pretty surprising stat to me as well when I, I spoke with Jesse about it because uh, coming off of those, I think there were three games against uh, you know the Cosmos, the Revs, and and the NYCFC. They scored three, four, and four goals, so it was you know an offensive explosion. But they're at, at that point they were second in the league, so the narrative has kind of been you know the Red Bulls can't score, they don't have the firepower yet. They're they're still near the top of the league in terms of uh, goals per game, so 
you know, the likes of, of Bradley Wright Phillips, Lloyd Sam, Mike Grella. It's kind of a, you know, an offense by committee, if you will, where obviously you don't have Bradley banging in 27 like he did last year, but uh, the offense has still been there, uh, you know, whether it's not, you know, might not be as prevalent as it has been in years past, but they, they still have managed their fair share on the, uh, on the offensive third. You know, it's also interesting when you consider just looking at the league table, the Red Bulls are also fourth in goal differential in the league. No, I'm sorry. Hello. They're third in goal differential in the league behind L.A. and Vancouver. So um, it's, you know, New York is in the pack. They had their four-match losing streak after a strong start. They've played certainly better as of late. They got a gritty, gutty win, obviously a disappointing uh, loss in the Open Cup. But looking at the team right now, what do you uh, – let's prognosticate a little bit. What do you think their prospects are for down the stretch and into the playoffs? Well, I think you really have to not only look at the Red Bulls team themselves, but look at the rest of the Eastern Conference. And you'd have to like their chances, you know, regardless of the payroll. I know that was a big talking point, uh, you know, a big change for Red Bulls teams of years past. But this team is is right there in the thick of it. Uh, D.C. has kind of separated themselves from the pack, but even they are starting to come down to earth. They've, you know, hit a bit of a snag in, in poor form right now. So no team in the East has really, uh, you know, showed that they're going to run away with it, you know, after after D.C. in that middle of the pack there. So I, I think the Red Bulls have as good a chance as any to, to uh, you know, stay above that red line and, you know, make some noise in the playoffs because that's really a, what it's all about. We've seen it time and time again. It's not so much what you can do in the regular season. It's getting into the playoffs and seeing what happens, getting hot at the right time. And, uh, you know, there's no reason that this Red Bulls team can't do that as long as they, they manage those ups and downs, which every team inevitably goes through. They've already had their fair share starting off real hot and then, you know, hitting a bit of a lull down in in the middle of the season. Uh, now they've they've hit an uptick again uh, in in league form anyway. So as as far as you know the playoffs are concerned, I think if they if they can you know more or less maintain the the pace they have right now, I think they should be fine in terms of playoff standing. And then from there, it's it's really just a toss up. Did you say there's no reason oh, that boy. this team should oh, make the playoffs? <laughs> can we edit that out? <laughs> no, we can't. Uh, one last question, Eric, and then we'll let you go. This is this has been a great chat. Obviously, when you think about the teams that have invested in expensive talent, I don't necessarily need to say top talent, but expensive talent. Obviously, New York City FC and Toronto, and you can argue Orlando are the ones that have kind of put their chips in the middle of the table and, and said we're willing, we're willing to spend whatever it takes to get the best possible team uh, that money can buy. New York right now is currently above all of those teams, but is it realistic to expect that one of those teams will get it together and get through what should be a a very, very competitive Eastern Conference uh, playoff series? I I think it is. I think you see a team like Toronto FC, you know, know, you've talked about that at Infidite, about how how much money they, they pour into the club. And I think this year they really got it right. You know, when they they threw money to Jermaine Defoe and he had those injury problems and it didn't really pan out. But with what they have with Sebastian Jovinko, I think you know he's right now he has to be the the MVP front runner and he's really just taken that team to a new level. And you know, even if you look at NYCFC, you got those you know big name players like Lampard and, and Pirlo. Well, it's yet to see how much they have left in the tank and uh, what they can offer. But I I do think they'll ultimately have a positive impact, and don't forget they have you know some signings like Iriola and Angelino as you know outside backs, and that'll surely help shore up a 
a pretty poor defense. So I, I only see those two teams getting better. So I do, I do think the second half of the season will hold a, you know, a little bit more competition in terms of the Eastern Conference. So uh, it, it'll be, it'll be tougher. It'll be a little bit tighter than it was, uh, you know, in the in the first half of the season. So it, it should be interesting to see how this all pans out. You can read Eric Giacometti just about every day at MLSsoccer.com. I would imagine you'll be covering the Red Bulls in Benfica on Sunday. Actually, I will not. I'll be out of the country, but uh, I'm I'm there almost uh, almost every game. That's I think this is the okay. only one I've missed so far. You ha- you had to catch me on the one I missed. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, thanks so much for joining us on Seeing Red. We'll talk to you down the playoff stretch. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Your emails after this. We'll be right back with more Seeing Red. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark and Dan here. Eric's good. Like like having Eric on the show. Eric's got to move into regular rotation on Seeing Red. That was terrific. Uh, third segment, as you know, it's all about you. SeeingRedNY at gmail.com or call... 973-602-9161. You can do that anytime. If you have a Red Bulls thought at 3 in the morning and you've got to get it down, just call the voice line. Don't slur, though. And please, if you're using the voice line, keep your message relatively short. Won't you? Thanks. we got some emails and a prize to give away. Here's Bill Carroll, friend of the show. Bill says, I was one of the few hundred fans of the game on Tuesday, and there are a lot of bad things I can write about. The results the play, or how MLS handles the Open Cup and these stupid friendlies, but I'm extremely happy with the team they put on the field. Well done, Jesse and the Red Bulls. You certainly can't say that the team did not do everything they possibly could to win. No, you definitely can't, and the problem is that just because you care or you try doesn't mean you do win, and I think you know the, this fan base has gotten so hung up over the years on that the team didn't care and so it was just, you know, we want you to care. Well, they did, and now you're pissed about the result, the same as it would be any other game. So uh, they, they tried, and people who were clamoring that they weren't taking the Open Cup seriously should put that one on the shelf and leave it for a few years at least. Suffice it to say that the Red Bulls will never schedule anything during Open Cup windows ever again. Well, we'll see. Dear Metro Suicide Hotline, writes Christopher Cloco, it was clear a few months ago, a few months into the season, that the Magic Ali Curtis 300-page book had no plans for a pack defense. Teams adjusted quickly to our high press, and despite our hot start to the season and our recent short run of success, we're currently only two games above 500 and in third place in the East. Against Philadelphia on Tuesday, our failure to unlock a pack defense cost us a trophy. Or at least the opportunity to make the semifinals. I, I didn't realize that, that could, was the cup final. Give them a trophy. I'd love for management to tell me what the point was in firing Mike Petke, whose only game plan was to work hard when the guy who replaced them has only one game plan to press high. Either Curtis is a failure for not getting March the piece or pieces to adjust his tactics, or Jesse March has no tactical acumen outside of the high press, or both. We've needed another piece in the attack for months now. Did you know we're third in the league in scoring? A pure uh, central attacking mid to operate in tight spaces would be nice. A target striker with a fantastic aerial game would work as well. And in truth, there shouldn't be any problem signing both of these guys since we have the lowest payroll in the league. Right? Best. Chris. Can we talk about 
lowest payroll in the league for a minute. Well, could we also talk about signing a pony? I'd love to sign a pony. I love a pony. Who doesn't love a pony? Uh, Thierry Henry made $5 million a year? Four or $5 million a year? Five in the early years, and then I think it was four and a half last year or something. Like that. T- Tim Cahill, I think, made, what, three? Yeah. So those two players alone represented, oh, I don't know, 250% of the current payroll, or 200% of the current payroll. Mm-hmm. Two players. Two. Mm-hmm. That, aren't, that aren't here now. So I'm just let's all frame the we're not spending money. And let me get let, let me make it understood because I know that there are some that that feel that I have a predilection to support this team no matter what. Um I think fans deserve to see the best team that can possibly be put on the field. However, when you think about what's happened over the last little while, they've signed this sponsorship from Yanmar which is a Japanese manufacturing company that I had never heard of until they signed a signage stadium, uh, signage deal on the stadium. Marketing partnership success. Thank you. Thank you. They've just signed another deal with Bayer, Bayer, if you will, in the U.S. Um, Those two things could not have happened unless Austria clearly said, hey, guys, you've really just got to make this work based on what we can provide to you. I think it's clear that if the Red Bulls were selling out on a weekly basis, and let's be also clear, the Red Bulls have never sold out on a weekly basis, ever. Not even when Thierry Henry was here, and not even when um, uh, Cahill was here, or Rafa Marquez, and not even when Mike Petke was the coach did the team sell out on a regular basis. Had the team sold out sell-out games on a regular basis, and there are many reasons why they they haven't, and I'm not going to go into them here, because if you've been listening to this show for a long time, you know them. Um, if the team sold out on a lo- for uh, every game for regular on a regular basis, there would be no need to sign up for European friendlies against uh, the champions of Europe that, that bring a, a nice payday to the team, because the team would be regularly filling everything. And I, I'm not saying it's time for fans to show up no matter what. Because everyone has their own individual reasons for supporting or not supporting, or being Red Bull out, or being Red Bull in, or being done because of Petke, or being attracted by this attracted play that New York has had. But um, the fact of the matter is is that Austria has said we're, we're not going to invest as much as we had. Now, you as a fan have to decide whether or not you're willing to give your money to support the team because the ownership who has tons of money is not supporting the team. But this is uh, an issue in all of sport, and fans have to make their own decision whether they stay or not. So the notion of, since we're so far under the salary cap, we naturally will bring in the best possible player may not be the case. Sean Wright Phillips has been training for, what, six weeks, Dan? Uh, Eight weeks? All season at this point, it feels like. <laughs> but. Right. He's negotiating and negotiating, and the two sides apparently are far apart, and they've got two weeks to make it work. And he will, he would help. He would, but, you know, he's not – I don't think he's the player that people are thinking about when they're, they're complaining about the lack of spending. It's, it's another Wright Phillips. It's the less successful Wright Phillips brother, if I can go that far. Um, I get what people want. You want the big name DP that's going to get you the visibility and the little marketing boost and add to the team. And fans are right to want that. They, they had it for five years in Thierry. Um, you know, he brought not just 
visibility to the team, but a, a certain level of skill and panache and drive that, you know, most teams in MLS at the time certainly didn't have. Um, but finding that, that I don't want to use the phrase right player because this, the team's front <laughs> office has beaten it into the ground where it's now a running gag, but you do want to find the player that is the right fit and happens to be available at the right price. Um, I just want to touch on one other thing in that letter. There was a, you know, they, they invoked Mike Petke mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the tactical comparison with Jesse. I will point out that during the Philadelphia game, he pulled Perinelle and they actually went to three in the back. Mm-hmm. It was a different formation to throw more attackers forward. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what tactical genius you ex- expect Jesse to start shouting from the sideline other than, you know, attack differently rather than cry. There's not so much you can do. And I will point out that in the two years Mike led the team, and again, I have nothing against Mike. Love Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't get any farther in the Open Cup. No. So I, I don't know what that comparison is supposed to invoke after the Philadelphia game. But. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, say what you want. Uh, they're kings of New York, right? And they are in the top. They're you know in the top half of the league, and they you know time will tell. This has been half a season. Mm-hmm. It's been a little more than half a season, and a cup run and a friendly one. Here's an email from Seth Hewling, Mark, Dan, and maybe Dave. <laughs> you guys are just as consistent as Metro. Always great. Every sport is a game of numbers, and to a certain extent, to a certain extent, maybe not tennis, but soccer for sure. This week we've had a lot of numbers to look at, and as I speak, of course, the salary figures are recently released. Metro sits at the very bottom of the pile, the lowest of the low. We're the goddamn Tampa Bay Rays of MLS. But you know what? The Rays won the World Series in 2008. And when the Red Bulls were bending like the Yankees, we didn't come close to being comparable to a 28 championship team. Do I want a big DP signing? Yes. That's like asking if you'd like 10 grand in your sock drawer. Do we need a DP signing? I don't know if that's clear of an answer. Most of what drives Metro Nation's desire for a DP is simply a hmm, measuring contest with the blue team. Would I take Lampard or Pirlo? Sure. Would I take the Smurfs record? Hell no. You know who else I would take? Another Mike Grella. The guy is making sixty grand a year. Let that sink in. He's a New York native. He's got a local accent, and now he's earning the title of Grellandino because of his amazing def- making defenders' legs look like they're at middle school prom. He cut through Aurelian Collin like a sharp knife through locks, and we're paying him sixty k to do it. So I say, keep your Pirlo and, G- and Gerard and Kaká. We've had our fun with Henri, and boy, was it fun. But now we're playing smart. We've got fire we've never had before, and we're learning that you don't have to break the bank to do it. Ronaldinho would be a lot of fun, and that's expensive. But that's an expensive party. Give me well whiskey. I'll take Grelladinho any day of the week. Seth making our point for us for our last discussion. Mike Grella has got to be the buy of the year in MLS. It feels like it. I can't think of a lot of other players that. I mean. This will start dovetailing into the MVP discussion, which I'm sure will fire up mm-hmm. into craziness in September. But, mm-hmm. you know, for the money, he's been fantastic. Fantastic. And when you think about the story of Mike Grella, I mean, here's a guy, bounced around England, came back, you know, the cosmos passed on him. And he came into camp and worked really hard and impressed. And listen, there are some people that are not 
Mike Grella fans. I get it. But he salted off Orlando City, which we haven't talked about at all, despite the fact that it was less than a week ago. And he has shown individual flair that gets people excited. Is he the perfect player? No. But for sixty grand, I mean, my goodness. The winner of this week's uh, Seeing Red Prize, which is four lower bowl tickets and a chance to watch warm-ups pregame, is Mark Krapinski, who writes, Hello, those that host Seeing Red. I know this show a bit of the, uh, for this show a bit of discussion will focus on the All Star Game, which we haven't talked about, and we pretty much have opinions of potential Red Bull player snubs and stuff like that. In case, instead, I want to focus on the Orlando City game. The officiating, like a lot of MLS games, was questionable at best, and Orlando suffered a questionable red about 30 minutes into the game. Which, by the way, folks, today the MLS disciplinary committee rescinded the red to, to uh, Kyle Aaron. The Orlando fans would not shut up about it through the rest of the match, claiming that the ref was completely for us despite some bad calls, notably the Paranel goal that was called back. Sure, some Red Bulls provoked them, uh, Red Bull fans provoked them as well, but they gave the same back. It got a bit heated, heated between the fans. Now I have to ask you guys: Do you think something like this isolated occurrence is an isolated occurrence, or do you think that this could develop into an unlikely rivalry? Let me know what you guys think. When we had Paul Tenorio on, we were talking about possible rivals for Orlando, and of course he mentioned Atlanta, he mentioned D.C. United. He didn't mention New York City, which was a member, obviously, of this new expansion class. Mm -hmm. But I certainly think that, I mean, Orlando City fans were over the moon upset over this, and maybe it was because it was their third successive match with a red card, and Adrian Heath running off the field and gesticulating to the fans and getting them fired up. He, by the way, is suspended for Orlando's trip to the Bronx this week. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, could could Orlando be a, a new rivalry for the Red Bulls? I, I, the, the measuring stick for me when it comes to could this be a rivalry is how crazy the game actually is. And... Mm -hmm. Yes, it was a very questionable red card, and there was some other questionable officiating, and obviously the Orlando social media team was having fun photoshopping Sasha into accepting an Oscar, um, which we <laughs> saw circulate a couple of times. Um, I, I don't think the game was that remarkable and crazy enough to rise to the level of rivalry. My gold standard for unlikely rivalry remains Portland, because mm. every damn game with the Timbers has been crazy. ridiculous, crazy. controversial, hilarious, high-scoring. Tons of yeah, goals, yeah. Every last one of them. And uh, to me, that's that's where the unlikeliness is. Um, hmm. But, you know, I, I've seen that Orlando fans tend to be very touchy about most everything. They're, they're building a little bit of a reputation online, which is probably not where you want to be in your first year, but I think it's difficult for any expansion clubs at this point, <laughs> simply because you're dealing with a bunch of old guard um, in the original right. 10, or well, what's left of the original 10, never mind the sort of established expansion clubs, which all include Seattle and even Toronto, and not because Toronto's gotten results, but because, you know, they were the measuring stick for fan culture for a while. So, yeah. you know, as new fans, there's, there's sort of a belief that you've got to pay your dues. And I, I've been fascinated over the last week to see some blue fans, especially after... Um, they were dealt a loss in New England and got a red card of their own, as they seem to do fairly regularly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they, I, I saw a couple of them starting to go, 
yeah, man, our fan base really does not understand how this league works, <laughs> and I wish they would <laughs> quiet down a little bit. So um, I wouldn't take the Orlando fans being loud on social as the the birthplace of a rivalry because there's a lot that that does have to develop on the field first and foremost. Um, mm-hmm. Good banter between the fan groups certainly helps, but it's not. Not the end of all year. I will say, just to, to turn it back to the, the matches we did talk about, Mark, yeah. do you think Philly's now a rivalry after absolutely. all of Absolutely, absolutely. When they come into your place, first of all, the Suns have been shouting, this is our house, after one win in a row uh, here, <laughs> I thought was very interesting, especially because that's what the Rev supporters did and were promptly trounced by the Red Bulls 4-1. to So they won't be doing that anytime soon. But, as Jesse said... They've now done this to us twice in our house, and it hurts, and the whole scheduling snafu definitely hurts. And I tweeted out after the game uh, from the interview room Jesse's comments about how we, we gave them seven or eight different opportunities to switch the date of the game, and they were completely inflexible. And quite a few Philadelphia fans uh, responded saying, it's not our place to be flexible. You guys messed up by scheduling the, the, the Champions Cup during this, during this window. So it will be very interesting on August 1st when New York goes to Philly. And the two, actually, they have one more game after that at Red Bull Arena. This is gonna. I think this is the season. I think it's fair to say this is the season that the Philadelphia Union uh, had really forced a rivalry on the Red Bulls, and I don't see that as necessarily a bad thing. I see it as a good thing, frankly. It's it's good for the two teams to be so close. Um, you know, it's the, it's the second shortest uh, road trip that, that Red Bull fans can take in the league. And I, I think it definitely is, especially after, I mean, stealing one league game is something, but, but that was a devastating cup loss, especially the way that the statistic tables were tipped. And uh, the, I, I would absolutely call this a rivalry now. What do you think? You heard it here first, folks. It's a rivalry. Yes. Yeah, you heard it here first. What do you think? I, I I think it is, and I think it's more about the front office and flexibility than it is about the 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 two results. Um, I think when you get into a lot of the the chicanery between the teams, you know, my recollection, and you're going to have to correct me because I'm not a '96er here, but yeah. my impression about a lot of why the Heat with DC started was the incident during the playoff series where Echeverry maybe went down a little soft. Yes, it was it was the it was the play, the first playoff right. series. And yes. and that leads to elimination and so you get these sort of questionable conditions combining on the field off the field all the rest of this um that that lead to genuine heat developing. So, yeah, I absolutely think it's a rivalry now. Um I don't know who that bumps down the rest of the list, you know, you've got cuz you've also got NYCFC this year. Obviously, you still have D.C. I actually, from my sort of neutral vantage point in the press box, I think a lot of the fire has gone out in the D.C. rivalry. You know, with the playoff thing last year, the, the yeah. game they had here earlier in the season, D.C. did not travel well. It was a weekend game. I, I didn't get it. Um, well, also, when you play two ma- two of the three matches against D.C., the second and fourth game of the season... It doesn't help, certainly. It it, it definitely doesn't help, and it doesn't let you kind of really get a DC hate week going and get up for it. Yeah, and say what you want about NYCFC, this 
the proximity has generated a lot of heat. And whether you actually call that a rivalry or not, I mean, the the August 9th game uh, at Red Bull Arena is going to be... Uh, with NYCFC and their, their more of their DP stars is going to be very, very telling to see whether this is a proper rivalry. I mean, as long as, for my money, as long as the Red Bulls continue to win games, it's not a rivalry. The Red Bulls' all-time record against Philadelphia is now only 8-6-2. Mm-hmm. It used to be in the early uh, days of the league that New York was winning this match uh, every single time, and that's not the case anymore. And it's not that Philadelphia is, a, is necessarily a good team. It's that they are getting up for the Red Bulls now, and it's important for them to beat, to, to beat the Red Bulls every time. And you've got two games that have gone totally against the run of play statistically that Philadelphia has, uh, has stolen it. So anyway, thank you so much uh, for your email, Mark, and we'll be in touch soon. And uh, fans, if you've won a prize over the last couple of weeks, we know we're a little behind. We will get back to you with your prizes. So we're not going to make any predictions because Red Bulls and Benfica, eh. But we will be back next week with another edition of Seeing Red uh, to preview the yet another New York-Philadelphia tilt, this time at PPL Park. For Dan Dickinson and Eric Giacometti, I'm Mark Fishkin saying thank you for listening to Seeing Red, and we'll be back to you next week. Have a good one. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.